Another vet of wine presents the Stellenbosch Wine Festival. I'd better go and have a word with the guests. Why don't you have another vat of wine, dear? <laughs> Gosh, Niddy, what a lovely bouquet. Yes, it's a fine bunch of red rosés. <laughs> can picture yourself in Stellenbosch, but it's quite difficult because you're in the Wanderers on a cricket field. We've got Mike Ratcliffe. He's the chairman of Stellenbosch Wine Roots. Founded in 1971, Mike, one of the oldest wine routes that was established in South Africa. Yeah, that's right, Chris, and hi to all your listeners. Uh, it's also the first wine tourism body established globally, we believe. But yes, we've got a long history, a lot of amazing producers, amazing history that, that all wraps up into a wonderful group of people descending on Joburg at the moment. Let's talk of Stellenbosch. I mean, Napa Valley, we can say Cabernet, Chardonnay, Hunter Valley, we can say Semillon, Burgundy, we can say Pinot Noir. Stellenbosch, can we say Cabernet, Chenin? How do we define Stellenbosch? Well, Stellenbosch you can specifically define as delicious. How about that for generalization? <laughs> but if you wanted to, to pull it down, there are a number of specialities that are emerging. You know, I've always said that greatness takes time. And we have about 50 years of history, whereas some of the regions in Bordeaux are much older than that. But we're definitely seeing a trend towards spectacular Chardonnay. Truly, we're, we're certainly the leaders in Cabernet Sauvignon in South Africa. And watch Chenin Blanc. It's really happening uh, in the Stellenbosch region and going from strength to strength. Let's talk about the evolution of wine in South Africa. We've seen the last 25 years an exponential growth in wine producers, people interested in wine, wine drinkers. How Stellenbosch responded to that exponential growth given the fact that it, it's almost the birthplace of South African wine? Well, it is the birthplace, and, and sometimes being first is a great thing because you can never take it away. Uh, in many ways, Stellenbosch is, is uh, growing up, it's uh, consolidating, it's becoming less fragmented, and, and over time, it's, it's as if it's been in the gym, the muscles are getting a little bit stronger. We're realizing our strength, we're realizing that there's a, with strength comes responsibility, and with responsibility, we need to show leadership for the entire industry, and I believe that from a philanthropic point of view, from a quality point of view, and, and also also, just from a, a general, uh, generic promotional point of view, we have to show leadership, and I believe we are. Obviously, you work, you're not isolated. Stellenbosch is one of many uh, wine regions in South Africa. Do you have relationships with the other guys where you talk about the ultimate goal of South African wine on the map, tourism, international exposure? Yeah, we don't believe that any other region in South Africa is a competitor. We believe that our competitors are the other great regions of the world. And so from that point of view, we, we have reached out to other regions. For example, next week on Wednesday, we have a, a half-day session with Franchuk where we've handed out the olive branch and said, let's be friends, let's really stand together. And what we're really trying to do is actually promote the single banner of the Cape Winelands. 
And once a tourist comes to Stellenbosch and once somebody drinks South African wine, then we can compete about it. But actually, we believe that South Africa needs to stand together. And so, once again, we're showing leadership on this front. It's a, it's a big area. You know, if you start in the south and you work to the north, you've got huge amounts of diverse terroir, diverse growing circumstances, diverse economic and social circumstances and climate circumstances how does it pull together to form one uh, singular tourism or wine area in in South Africa so we we fully embrace the fact that Stellenbosch is a broad church with diverse interests diverse um, initiatives and diverse wine styles Um, so we're not trying to define Stellenbosch in a single voice. What we like to unite under the banner of quality, but actually, um, since I took over as chairman uh, just under a year ago, uh, we've actually decided that we are going to focus and we're going to pull together under a rather unusual banner. But I think what is appropriate in the Stellenbosch environment, we are going to unite under the banner of social economic development. So we are focusing every single thing we're doing on developing the people in our region where that will become priority number one, where priority number two will be marketing, which kind of turns it on its head, but you'll be surprised how quickly that's united our our diverse broad church together to to really focus on this. And do you work together with the other elements within Stellenbosch, the food guys, the the academic guys, every element of Stellenbosch which, which makes it so special? Yeah, I mean, we've really made a huge effort in that. So we realized that um, Stellenbosch has some of the greatest restaurant offerings um, in South Africa. In fact, at the Eat Out Awards last year, South Africa got five of the top ten restaurants in South Africa were in Stellenbosch. It's outrageous. But Stellenbosch has never had a tourism body focused on restaurants. So we created one. And now George Jardine is the chairman, Batis Basson is the deputy chair, and that's rolling. We, we realized that there wasn't a body looking after hospitality, so we created one. It's rolling, it's funded, it's got its own vision and mission. In the same way, we've embraced university. University sits on my board. We've embraced uh, municipality. We've embraced everything from adventure tourism to business tourism to wine tourism to food tourism to accommodation tourism. And they are coming together. We sit on one board and we decide on macro visions together, specifically socioeconomic development. You're a child of Stellenbosch. Indeed. What, is, what is so special about Stellenbosch? Well, primarily I'm proudly Stellenbosch. So that's where it all starts. I'm proud of the region. I'm proud of the leadership that has been shown over the years. I'm proud to be part of a mechanism that is standing on the shoulders of giants. Before me, in my position as chairman, there have been great men of the South African wine industry, from the Ken Foresters, Johan Krikers, Quivis Bassans, going all the way back to, to the greats of the winery to, who started the whole thing in 1971. And so there is a certain responsibility that I feel towards taking it to the next level. And I'm sure that there will be somebody who comes after me that is going to feel an equal amount of responsibility. It is a great region. It is a broad church, but it is the leader of the South African wine industry. What are you drinking at the moment? What's your favorite wine? Not right now. <laughs> we know we've had a lot at the Stellenbosch Wine Festival, which is a fantastic initiative that brings Stellenbosch to Johannesburg and exposes us to the beauties of Stellenbosch, albeit um, in, a South- in, a, in a Johannesburg environment. What, what are you drinking at the moment? What, what is the wine that sits top of mind for you as a as a South African, what are you what are you enjoying at the moment as a, a South African wine? Well, given that we've got 50 wineries here today, it would be inopportune to try to drink them all. 
So I adopted a strategy. Also, naming a single wine would be akin to standing in front of a lynch mob, so I won't name one. But my strategy today was to start with Shannon's, then to go on to Chardonnay's, and to end with the King of Stellenbosch, King Cabernet Sauvignon. Mark Ratcliffe, thank you for your time. The Stellenbosch Wine Festival brought together by Stellenbosch Wine Roots, Pick and Pay, Hot 91.9 FM, Aramex and the Wanderers Club celebrates the five subroutes of the region, starting from the Helderberg in the south, the Stellenbosch Valley to the west, the Stellenbosch Berg that cradles the town, the Greater Simmonsburg on the eastern escarpment and the Bottlery Hills to the north. Each subroute shows different climate and terroir and it's an impossible task to pack over 40 wineries into one podcast. So watch this space for some in-depth content on more of the estates in the future. I've chosen one estate from each subroute with no predetermined criteria, apart from the fact that I know the winemakers or owners personally, and one or two of them dabble in varietals less known in the Stellenbosch region. We're at a festival, so as you can hear, there's a lot of music and general fun happening in the background, and levels do intensify as more wine is consumed. We start in the Stellenbosch Berg and the Jonkershoek Valley with Weyland Leitergan of Lanzerank Estate. Weyland, good to see you. What is your offering at the Stellenbosch Wine Festival this year? For a day-to-day, I would say the, the Pintage Rosé is probably, probably the highlight. You know, um, Being Pinotage, we, Lanzerank was the first that bottled Pinotage. So the whole history lends itself for us making a Pintage Rosé. And I think, I think in this kind of weather... Uh, it's a perfect, perfect drink, you know. It's becoming more and more popular now because so. of this, you know. It's, a, it's got the red wine attributes and also helps on a nice hot day. Very much so. Um, and we, we changed from, uh, Rosé sort of changed a little bit in style, you know. It was always sticky, sweet, and then less sweet, and now it's almost completely or completely dry. It's gone the opposite, in fact. It's gone the opposite, yeah. But very, it's still refreshing. Very refreshing, and uh, we, f- we just find that rosés are really took off in South yeah. Africa and, and overseas, you know. So, and I think it's to do with the styles. It's become lighter in color, uh, lighter in alcohol, just ref- more refreshing, you know. So, yeah. Now, Lanzarek, I mean, people think of Lanzarek maybe in terms of more of a boutique hotel and a spa, but the yes. winemaking history from Lanzarek is is old and it's, it's a lot of tradition. Very much so, yeah. Now, uh, interesting enough, the hotel actually came after the wine, you know. It was, uh, it was the Rawdens that bought the hotel in the mid-50s and they changed or, so, or sold or part-sold it, uh, the wine brand to the Stell. But, but Landrak as a farm always made wine, even from the, from the beginning. And um, we uh, uh, we had a very interesting, uh, quite a few interesting owners. One of them being Mrs. English. She was Afrikaans girl uh, that married uh, Mr. English from Kent, and she re- renamed the farm from Skoongesig to Landsrak. And she was the first first owner that actually bottled or, or, or made wine under Landsrak label. So so. So the and that was the early like 1914. So, but even before that, wine was made in in at Landsrak, you know. Okay. So, so the history of winemaking actually came a far way, uh, came a long way. And the the, the, the famous 
wine from Lanzarote is the Pinotage. Uh, the first, the first bottle Pinotage in the world was a 1959 Lanzarote Pinotage. Uh, we've got about four bottles left of that, and uh, this year is actually a six-year reunion of the first bottling. You know, so. And uh, is Pinotage still what you would consider your? Your staple, your your, yeah, your your best grape, or yeah, I would say you know the, our position in Terroir and Stellenbosch, I would put it down to three varieties: uh, Chardonnay on the white side, and then Pinotage and Cabernet Sauvignon. I mean, I think Stellenbosch and Cabernet is really uh, forming an identity. You know, uh, sort of a, that is what Stellenbosch is good about, and I think where we are in the Yonkersuk Valley, that's very much where we want to pitch ourselves as well. And the uh, same with Pinotage. I think if you can make a good Cabernet in Salamos, you can make a good Pinotage. You know, so, yeah, but uh, those three are probably our, our proud. So our what are proud. we tasting today? Uh, well, I think, I think, like I said, I think we must go for the Rosé. <laughs> and this is a 2019 vintage Pinotage Rosé. Pinotage makes a great Rosé because it's quite... Uh, perfumey and, and lots of fruit on the nose and um, and fresh on the palate with not, uh, quite crisp acidity. So, yeah, I, I would say the perfect summer drink. Let me pour myself a glass. So you get that uh, the typical strawberry but watermelon. Um, you know, those kind of flavors. Quite expressive on the nose and then on the palate this dry, it's, a little, it's, it's, it's grippy, there's a little bit of acidity there, it's fresh. You know? It's got a beautiful balance between being, um, what we were talking about earlier, those attributes of a red wine, yes. but then a little bit of a tannins the, there. It's you got know? the tannins, yeah. and it's not oversweet, so it doesn't, it doesn't kill everything that you're getting in terms of the complexity, but it's refreshing. Yeah, and I think that works well with food as well, you know, if you have lunch or something, this this kind of wine just refreshes your palate and you go for the next bite or something like this. What's next for Lanzarote? Next we refining, just refining every our brand, not our brand and our winemaking is just to, to be constant. Um, you know, even narrow our offering down to those three uh, varieties maybe at the end and just refine it and be constant every year. Just build on the build on it with our history. And legacy, you know, we don't want to change the whole thing around. We just want to build on, on our on our past and just become better. You know, so. Bernard Lantigan, thanks very much. My pleasure. Thanks for. Okay, we're at Valera now, and that's on the Bottlery Road. Uh, one of the first people to, one of the first estates to have done uh, or made an MCC, that's the classic um, method Champagne was. And I'm with Alexander. Alexander is one of the winemakers at Valera. Alexander, how has Valera evolved over the years from being traditionally a, an MCC sparkling winemaker to what you've got on show for us today? Um, I think uh, MCC has always been one of our strongest categories and it's still growing for us. It's still one in that we excel quite a lot. Uh, on the still wines as well, we have seen a lot of growth, especially on Shen and 
and on the red we've seen a lot of great fights on our Merlot as well. So I think those two on the still varieties are strongest, uh, but Bubbly or MCC will always be uh, one of our strongest side at the farm. And the recipe for your Bubbly um, in terms of the varietals that you use within it? Uh, yeah, we focus on the classic champagne varieties, Pinot, Chardonnay and Pinot Mignet. And then we also add a bit of uh, Pinotage in our tradition brut and tradition rosé. And that's just to add extra complexity to the wine and then just give it that South African spin to it as well. As we feel it's unique uh, to South Africa and we want to incorporate it in those two uh, lines of ours. Shannon becoming very popular um, in South Africa. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, it's one of those grapes that we feel we should be known for rather, you know, in terms of the international, international scene. What are you seeing in the development of Shannon um, from a South African perspective? You know, in the last two to three years, you've seen the sales of Shannon uh, skyrocketed. It's a past uh, Sauvignon Blanc, where Sauvignon Blanc used to be the go-to wine for a lot of South Africans. I think they've all changed back to Chenin Blanc. And it's been a positive growth for us. And we've been recognized worldwide now as the leading Chenin producer um, in the world. So it's a big spin-off, uh, a positive spin-off for South African wine industry, and especially for us as well. We've seen a lot of growth has, on our two Chenin. Has that come about because there's been a, a change in the style? Yeah, I think the style has changed a bit as well, and people are focusing more on it. Um, in Stellenbosch, all the different reasons, and they're toning down the new wood and looking more to express the terroir with using older barrels, bigger formats of wood, and just to really reflect the varietal characters of it. So what are we tasting today? Um, on today we've got two of our bubblies here, our Starlight, which is our lone alcohol tradition, and then our normal tradition brute, which has been uh, one in our stead since 1984. And then on the white we've got our aromatic jasmine, which is a blend of Gewurz, Riesling and Muscat, and then our barrel fermented Chenimla. So should we do the tradition, the, the brute, the one that you guys are known for, the one that you started out, that you pioneered? Yeah. Should we give that a taste? Yeah, give that a taste. So it's, uh, I see the labelling hasn't changed much since the old days. You've kept the, the essence of the labelling to, yeah, to keep that, that yeah, Valera tradition uh, identity. Yeah, it's worked for us and people relate to the label and that's a nice thing when you come to these shows. Um, there's a stories with people they remember, the folks used to drink it and now they're drinking it as well. So people relate to the label and when they see it, they immediately it brings back memories. So we found it's worked for us and why change the thing good thing. And what do we look for in the wine? What are the, what are the essences of the of the tradition? Uh, so the tradition is a blend of Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Pinot Mignon, and then a little bit of Pinotage, like I said. Uh, it's 18 months on the lease. Um, so we like to double up as we look chasing a real fine bubble and a lovely mousse on it. So this you get a lot of sort of uh, green apple, but, and then the dosage just brings a nice imbalance. Um, on this one as well, we use a uh, older dosage as well, a Solera system, as you want to keep continuity through the wine and just helps. Not sweeten it up too much. You're not sweeten up too much, just to um, bring that acid a bit into balance. Yeah. Okay. And the pH level for me is, a, is perfect in this wine. Yeah. I often find that the pH levels are getting a bit low yeah. in some of the MCCs that we're producing, but this, is a, this has got a lovely, it's yeah. got very little acidity, and, but yeah. it's not overtaken by fruit. Yeah, not overtaken. So we, we'll pick it in a few different stages. Uh, we'll do early pick and then uh, pick that we pick optimum and then pick a little bit later. So if you need to balance out just to add a bit of roundness to the wine. So we try and pick between 17 and a half and 18 and a half. Uh, for the tradition itself. Yeah. So 
very good wine. Sure. It uh, serves the tradition <laughs> of Valera. Uh, Thank you very much for your time, sure. Alexander. Thanks a lot. Cool. to the Greater Simonsburg and up Hellsworth to pass where on the left you'll see Neil Ellis Wines. Okay, Charles Ellis from Neil Ellis Wines. We have met before. Because when you first moved into your new cellar, cellar how's that going for you? That's no, uh, going brilliant. We actually had our 35th uh, year anniversary of our first vintage uh, on Friday and on Monday. And that uh, was quite a good celebration. So we're quite proud of what we've done in the past 35 years. Uh, we're moving a, a bit forward in life. We've got uh, some new products, the no added sulfides wines, uh, Sauvignon Blanc and Cabernet Sauvignon. And uh, at the moment, people are loving it and, uh, because it's uh, vegan friendly. with no added sulfur. It's a bit led of headaches for the guys, especially after a long day. And is that, is that becoming quite a big uh, marketing? It is becoming a very big trend. I think uh, people are a lot more healthy than they were a few years back. Uh, I think these type of wines are maybe the way of the future. Okay, so what are we tasting today? What have you, what have you added to your armory that we're tasting that we're tasting well, today? This is a non-added sulfur Sauvignon Blanc 2019 from Salamos. So uh, a lot of guava, good fruit. Uh, I think it's just a very good, generous glass of wine for the price. What do you think? It's, uh, it's, I wouldn't place it traditionally as a Sauvignon Blanc. It's not a typically citrusy Sauvignon Blanc. No, it's got it's a little not, bit more fruit in it and um, a little less acidic. That's what the, the, the sulfur actually does to it. It gives it a bit more acidity and the, the fruitiness of, of the citrus. Where this is just the natural fruit. To actually, like we, uh, Thomas Webb from the Lima said, oh, this is typical what the grape juice tastes like uh, just before. It's because it's no additives, it's just more natural. I think that's the, natural. Yeah, that's the essence of it, is to get the is to get the, as much of the grape coming through as possible without, without being too much of a fruit bomb. Correct. Yeah. And from the red perspective? Red perspective, also Cabernet Sauvignon. That's the two things we uh, concentrate on, Sauvignon Blanc and Cabernet. Cabernet Sauvignon, also Stellenbosch. This is from the vineyards of our state itself. And this is also just to be a good, generous glass, more everyday type of drinking Cabernet Sauvignon. So it's also a lot more food driven. It's been on wood for about 10 months. So you do still get uh, the woodiness taste and it can age a long time. But it's a bit easier to make than the Sauvignon Blanc when there's no sulfur added. And why is that? Because the tannins of the, the red uh, grapes actually have natural sulfur. Okay. Yeah. That that bad loss. And what, tell me about the non-sulfur. I mean, the, the processes that are involved in in doing it in it terms is, of the, making the wine making a bit more complicated. It, it is. It is a lot more harder to make. Uh, it's a bit of a trade secret because we're the only guys who can do it successfully at the moment. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to share that it's much. It's not going to the secret, maybe, but it's... Uh... Maybe you should ask my brother. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it is, it's a lot more harder work to Challenging. Do. It's a lot more challenging. The grapes need to be at the right places, the right pH, uh, right uh, uh, sugar levels when you actually pick it. And uh, the process is hard. And it's what about the... Um, uh, what 
What about the price point on something like a wine that takes a lot more energy to produce? I think the price point is a bit higher. It's probably say 20% higher than you would normally normally charge. But uh, I think it's still good value for money. The type of things you get. Uh, the, the normal non-sulfur added stuff out there is a lot cheaper, but uh, at least we need we made a product that you can trust in, that you know that won't go down on the shelf. And so, that, is that the future, or do you have anything else? It's not the future for New Ellis, It's just it's something new for us, and yeah. I think it's something that uh, everybody likes, and I think it uh, it's, it's, it's it's well received. Are you well sticking received. to your guns in terms of what you produce? We definitely in sticking to our guns. Uh, and what you know best? We definitely do. Cabernet Sauvignon driven wines is what we do, and uh, it's going from strength to strength. We can't keep uh, uh, keeping up with it. It's just it's for what the region is well. The region known, is well known for, and, uh, in, and, and we want to grow it for Salamosh. So it's where you've made your name as Neil Ellis Wines. Correct. My yeah. best to your dad, please. I will do. Yeah, Thank place. you very much. Appreciate it. I got Craig Barnard from Cavalli Estate here. Craig. Um, you call yourself Helderberg, but you're a bit across the road. You're not quite up against the Helderberg. Not quite up against the Helderberg, but we still form part of the, the general region. Um, we, I guess we are classified as Helderberg, just as like Lawrenceford is classified as Stellenbosch. It's one of those weird things, but um, we're, we're close enough. We still exude the same characteristics as the other farms that are up on the hill, um, a lot of coffee club soils which is what we, we want to be known for. But then your climate would be a bit different because you don't have those strong afternoon suns. and the... not, not strong afternoon sun, but we do get a little bit of the sea breeze being slightly closer to um, False Bay. Um, we're literally about seven kilometers from the, the ocean. So late afternoon, we get a lovely sea breeze that blows through there. Uh, a little bit sheltered from the, the, the heavy um, late afternoon sun. For those who don't know Cavalli, it's a, an equestrian-based, equestrian-themed, I guess, estate. It's got some beautiful buildings, it's got a lovely restaurant, it's boutique winery, but the equestrian side of it, I mean, that is part so of the owner's kind of the, the theme, owners, isn't it? Yeah, the owners are incredibly passionate about horses. Um, horses have been a part of their lifestyle ever since uh, they were kids. Um, Kabali was first and foremost when it was developed a an equestrian uh, estate, and later a restaurant came, and then the wines came. So I guess you know first and foremost we're a, a horse farm, but now we're competing on the the restaurant side of things, the wine side of things, and we're still trying to keep that whole horse ethos. As you can see by the labels, everything has got horses on it. The restaurant is named Equus. Um, so it's just a massive passion of theirs and they really believe in it. So let's talk about the wine, the evolution of the wine. Where was the essence of the evolution? What was the thinking behind the varietal and where Cavalli would go with its winemaking? Well, because of our situation and our soils, our microclimate and our terroir, if you will, uh, we identified very quickly that Shannon and Cab would be the best varieties for us. And we've tried to capitalize on that as best as possible. You'll see in our range that we do an unwooded Shannon, a wooded Shannon, a Shannon blend. We do a Cabernet, a Bordeaux blend, and we, we really wanted to bring a lot of focus on those two from the white and the red perspective. Um, our soils are full of poppy clip, well-drained. Um, the, the vineyards grow fantastically there. The wines that come up there, there's fruit concentration, there is acidity, there's vibrance. Um, you couldn't ask for a better site to produce wine from. So up to now, what are we looking at now in terms of what you've got on show for us today in terms of the 
in terms of the range that you're putting on for us? So today we're exhibiting our premium and our flagship range. So the premium consists of the Philly Chenin Blanc and the Colt Cabernet. And then the flagship is our white blend, which is a blend of Chenin, Chardonnay and Vidello. Very unique variety in itself. And then the Warlord, which is a Bordeaux blend of Cab, Malbec and Petit. So you can see the nice evolution of how Chenin and Cab can be used both as singular varietals and as a being used in a blend. I've always thought that Chenin has been um, underutilized uh, because of the dominance of Sauvignon Blanc, but Stellenbosch is, is becoming a bit of a, a center for Chenin oh. to revive, the revival yeah, of Chenin there, Blanc. No, there's some huge powerhouses out there. I mean, if you look at Ken Forrester's FMC, De Morganzon's Reserve Chenin Blanc, you know, there's some guys that are, you know, they're working with old vines. Um, and you know, if you look at the, the history of South Africa, Chenin Blanc is the most widely planted variety. And in terms of the old vine status, it's got the, the biggest portion of that. So there's a lot of um, interesting vineyards out there that are bush vine Chenin, Trellis Chenin, you know, some Chenins that are over 50, 60 years old. Like, and the versatility of the grape is amazing. Unwooded, wooded, um, use it in the MCC as Ken Barossa does. It's, it really is a fantastic variety. So what's caused the revival? What has what is, what is seen this revival in the interest in Chenin Blanc over Sauvignon? Is it, is it an acidity I, I, thing? Is it, a, is it just a developed palate? I think, it's, I think Chenin tends to bring a bit of a creaminess to it that Sauvignon doesn't have. Sauvignon, Sauvignon can be quite linear. People tend to get a bit nervous around the acidity and you either get the super tropical ones or the more asparagus ones. I think Chenin in its entirety has a, a very nice creaminess to it. The acidity can be there, but it, it feels more in balance than what Sauvignon has. And also the more tropical notes, which people tend to, to go for. Couple that with some wood, you know, a little bit of, of new oak, just to really help uh, balance out some vanilla, some butterscotch, be a fantastic But not over-oaking of over-wooded Chenin for me, for like me personally, a, one of those old I, over-wooded Chardonnays. Yeah, for me personally, it doesn't work. I, I want to... I want to show the fruit purity. There's no point in going to all that effort and whacking a whole lot of wood into there. Fruit purity is key. So and should we taste? Absolutely. Um, Here he goes to get a bottle of Philly Chenin Blanc, which is part of the premium range um, offered by Cavalier Estate. And one thing I can also tell you about Cavalier Estate, you need to go down there. I've had the pleasure of actually staying in the owner's manor house and I have had my, a, a private lake to myself and a beautiful s scenario, beautiful scenery, beautiful architecture because um, part of the owner's ethos is she's a, an architect and has designed it herself. It's a magnificent property to visit, but not, a, not only magnificent because of the horses and because of the architecture and because of the views, but because of the wine and so much more. There's an art gallery. There is a beautiful, beautiful restaurant and a really wonderful, wonderful way to experience the, shall we call it, the, the southern end of the Stellenbosch wine route in the shadow of the Grand Helderberg. Right, so we have the Philly Chenin Blanc. Let's have a look. So this is our Philly 2019. Uh, fermented in French oak, nine months in barrel, with about 20% new wood, whole bunch fermented, aged on its leaves the whole way through. I'm looking for freshness, I'm looking for a nice balance between acidity, creaminess, I'm looking for the nice fresh fruits on the nose, and just a well-balanced wine. What I like about it is that it's, it's not dominated by, I mean, Shannon is known for tropical fruit, yeah. 
but it's not over-dominated by tropical fruit. It's still got a bit of tannin in it, it's got a nice balance to it, and a beautiful down the back of the throat. A wonderful length. Oh, yeah. lovely. It really... disappearing or dissipating towards the back. And these vines? Uh, these vines were planted in 2012, so a relatively young vineyard. But what a magnificent vineyard. Oh, it, it really produces top quality grapes. The vineyard every year without fail is always in balance, always holds its own, delivers fantastic quality, and I'm excited for the years to come with it. Just uh, the, the grapes that you use, are you planting them all on site? Or Everything, are you, all, are you bringing our, a few? No, all our wines are estate grown. Okay, future, what, what are we looking at going down the line? What is Cavalli working on from a an R&D perspective in terms of wine? We are wanting to kick the Philly up into our next level. Um, we are actively trying to build a, a good market around it. Currently it's our top seller, um, followed by the Warlord. Um, we're wanting to just to really get a little bit more, I would say, structure into the wine. Not that it lacks structure at the moment, but we're just wanting to take the quality from where it is and just to, to better it, just to really focus on our fermentation techniques, focus on making sure that the berries in the vineyard are perfect quality area. Good. Um, last question. The Cabernet Sauvignon. Yes. Um, obviously, there's a lot of competition out there in terms of Cabernet Sauvignon. Stellenbosch is known for it. Yep. Stellenbosch prides itself. There's some states that will say they're the kings of Cabernet Sauvignon. What do you do to make your Cabernet Sauvignon stand out from the rest? I think a lot of us comes from the way that we actually ferment the grapes. Um, we're a small team. We, we try and do small batch fermentations. We um, do a lot of manual punch downs. We do a lot of basket pressing, try and really be artisanal, hands-on, be true to our ethos of being a boutique wine. And we're just really trying to get the best possible cab that we can off the property to showcase what our vineyards can do. And I think we're taking a step in the right direction. I think everything that you're looking for from a typical Stellenbosch cab, ours has it. The fruit is there, dark fruits, the eucalyptus, the cigar box, the, the spice on the, and the vanilla from the barrels, all of it marries together fantastically. Do yourself a favor, you're driving down the R44 and you're in the shadow of the Helderberg and you see the sign Cavalli, turn in, go and have a visit, go and have a look. Wonderful wine, wonderful ambience, wonderful people. Thank you. Pleasure, thank you very much. Finally, we come to the Stellenbosch Valley, to Nietlingshof Wines. Winemaker Devet Fulyun was celebrating after a win at the Michelangelo Awards. So it wasn't at the festival, but the estate was looked after in the hands of tasting room manager Kyla Lee Rogers. I am the tasting room manager at Nietlingshof. At Nietlingshof. Nietlingshof, yes. In Stellenbosch Valley. Yes, that's, that's correct. It, well, that's what it's called. Yes. So, if you travel down the Stellenbosch Valley, and you're on the right-hand side, you'll see a line of pine trees going up a long driveway, which has been the, the essence of Nietlingshof for so many years. Definitely. I mean, it's 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 definitely an icon of Nietlingshof. We've put it on our label, so, I mean, that's saying something. Um, we've got some really exciting things happening. We, uh, we've upgraded our labels, so just giving it a nice, fresh feel. Um, 2019 was a, a fantastic year, especially for our Sauvignon Blanc um, and our white wines. So really uh, exciting wines that have come out. Um, so yeah, we and we've also upgraded our wine garden so we can host more people at our farm, um, which is very exciting. So yeah. Well, tell me about what you are putting on for the visitor today. 
today? Yep. Yeah, so we have our um, Gewürztraminer, which is doing really well because a lot of people don't know about well, the Gewürztraminer. A lot of people don't grow Gewürztraminer, That's but you're the, guys, you're the only guys who do. Exactly. Well, yeah, one of the few. And then also we have our Malbec, which is, again, very unusual. Um, and I, from all the feedback that we've gotten, really, people are loving it. They are absolutely loving it. Malbec, for me, is one of the, one of the better... Varietals. I love Malbec. Yes. Very few people do it. Yes. As a as a as a single varietal. That's that's correct. That's Tell me correct. about the the reason why. I mean, it's a it's a difficult sell. Well, I mean, you know, I I, I can only speak on behalf of Debet, but I think Nietlingsdorf is definitely known for having those unusual um, grape varieties, and especially because we have different terroir on our estate, we are capable of. Um, of producing these different cultivars and doing it really well as well. You know, um, with Devet, he he loves to see what the grapes do, what the vineyards do, and then from there work with it. You know, he does. And and the Malbec every single year it's been so consistent. So we're doing a good job. So why change it? Yeah. So what are we tasting today? What are we tasting now? Right now, uh, we have. Like I said, the Malbec, we've got the Cab- Cabernet Merlot, which is a, a really nice blend to have as well. We have the Pinotage, obviously, you know, proudly South so African. So what do you recommend? What I would recommend is, let's, uh, let's taste the Malbec, as we're let's talking about. Let's taste the Malbec. We're tasting the Malbec. Nedlingshof Malbec. So what do we look for in this wine? People don't know it. It's a... It's, it's, known more for being a blending wine in South Africa, although if you go to Argentina, they will kick you for that. I know. What are we looking for? <laughs> so what we're looking for, I mean, you know, our state range wines are medium to full body. That's what we want to keep it at. Um, you're going to get lovely plums, um, your your red fruits as well, but more the berry side. Um, and yeah, it's just overall really a, a lovely soft structure, and that's where we want to keep it. And why is that different to what people are traditionally used to in terms of a Cabernet or a or a Merlot? What does a Malbec give them that a Cabernet well, won't? I mean, if you start off with the colour. It has yes. this purple hue about it, which just invites you. It, it lo- is red-blooded yeah, to the exactly. core. Exactly. So, um, and I feel that follows through when you when you're drinking it, uh, especially with the violet. Um, those 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 flavors come through. So, um, cab, I find. Look at you can get some really heavy cabs, and that's what cabs about. It's really robust. But I feel Malbec, or especially our Malbec, it's really elegant on the palate, and that's what, and it's consistent. Um, so yeah, definitely. I find it a quite balanced, very balanced wine. No, definitely. It's uh, it's got quite a strong tannin structure. Yeah, but it's not it's not it's not shy, but it's still it's quite I, I find very elegant. And how long would you keep this if you bought a bottle? How would you keep it for a? How long would you keep it on the, on, on your shelf to you, really you, enjoy it? You could. Well, I mean. I've tasted some uh, five-year-old Malbecs and they're really drinking well, but you can keep it up to eight years, maybe even longer, depending on how you keep it, though, obviously. But um, yeah, you, you can definitely keep it for about five to eight years. It will drink perfectly. Just briefly, the, the, the Nedlingshof Premier Collection? Yes. So we have the short story collection. Any, any additions to that? Um, so we currently have just uh, added, um, well it's, it's not added but we have the O to Nature um, 
Riesling, uh, which it's, it's almost in between, um, and that we've only got 3,000 bottles of that we have at the estate, so that's quite exciting. Um, we've just, we're going to go on to the Alpos 2018, again, very excited about that. Um, it's a single vineyard varietal, so people are just lapping it up. Um, so yeah, no, very excited about that. Nothing really new besides the vintages. Um, 20, 2019 Six Flowers just came out as well. Um, drinking beautifully. Six Flowers is superb wine. What about the Marie? The Maria. The Maria, Maria is I the beg no, your pardon. No problem. Is the, the Noble Late Harvest. So that's also doing very well. Um, we, we have the 2017 still. Um, we've got we've got quite a, a lot of that, so it's it's doing well. Um, and uh, yeah, so can't can't say anything more. That I mean, people just love it. So and any expansions in the range? Uh, no. Netherlands office got planned, or just sticking with your guns? We we're sticking with our guns for now. There is some exciting things coming out, but uh, I'll wait until Debit uh, decides to announce that. So. Speak of him. Do give him my best. I will do so. Thank you Thanks, so much. Chris. Okay. And so we take our leave from the Stellenbosch Wine Festival and we'll be back to visit the area in more detail to experience firsthand the diversity and, as Mike Ratcliffe put it, the deliciousness that Stellenbosch embodies as the cradle of winemaking in South Africa. Stay listening to another vat of wine with me, Chris Buchanan, for more insight into the world of the things we like to drink. Be sure to like our Facebook page and subscribe to the podcast feed on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Overcast and Radio Public. Until next time.